0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires.
1: You're looking particularly well today. Must be the summer sun. Happy July, everybody. Not at me if you're doing well. It's okay if you're not. We'll try to help you somewhat. We might not have all the answers, but we may have a few that could help you in your life today. There's a scripture in the book of Jeremiah that I've always loved. I don't hear it too often, but it goes like this. This is Jeremiah 24, seven. This is God speaking. He says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they will be my people and I will be their God, and they will return to me with their whole heart. I love that scripture, that God would give me a heart to know him. Isn't it nice to know that if you're having trouble relating to God or knowing him, that he can give you a heart to know him? So let, let's, let's, that, let's have that be our prayer right now before we dive into the word today. Father, simply we come into this moment with this request that you would give us a heart to know you. Sometimes we have difficulty knowing you, knowing who you are, knowing what you're like. And Father, we believe you're the God who answers our prayers. So we ask you today to give us a heart to know you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so we're traveling through the book of Mark this summer. If you haven't, uh, if you're not aware of that, uh, today we're in Mark chapter four. Maybe two months ago or I don't know, six weeks ago, I was assigned Mark chapter four and we didn't go through the scriptures looking for, you know, what was in there before we assigned anybody the particular chapter. I happened to get Mark chapter four. And, I, and it was interesting to me when I finally got around to reading it, because it's basically the first half of the chapter is the parable of the sower who sows the seed, which if you've, you've been around here, I've preached on that on several occasions in the last few months. So uh, I took that as being uh, a coincidence from the universe. No, just kidding. <laughs> I I took that as being a a sign from the Lord. I I felt like the Lord is um, saying something to me in that I've probably hammered the message of the seed to death um, already, but apparently he wants me to do it even more. It's called beating a dead horse, all right? But fortunately, the Spirit of the Lord is in our midst, and when the Spirit of the Lord gets hold of a text, he can bring dead things to life, amen? Amen. If you have deadness in your life today, you're in a really good spot because the Lord, his power is made excellent. It is expressed the most when you find yourself with the least amount of capability and strength. That's good news, isn't it? The chapter of Mark 4, it goes like this, in a nutshell. The first part is the parable of the sower and the seed. And then it goes into the purpose of parables. And then it goes into the parable of the lamp. You know, the old phrase that Jesus says, don't hide your lamp. If you have a lamp, you put it out so people can see it. All right, that's... And then and then he goes on to the parable of the growing seed. I'm telling you all this so that you'll go and read it later. I'm not going to read it all to you right now, but the parable of the growing seed is only found in the Gospel of Mark, all right? So if you don't know that parable, go read it. Investigate it for yourself. And then to close out the chapter of chapter disciples, we have the famous situation where Jesus and his disciples are in a boat there's a storm. They're all freaking out because they don't have faith. They don't trust Jesus. They don't really trust God. They're screaming, teacher, teacher, aren't you, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus look, you know, wakes up from a sleep and he, he says to the storm and the wind, stop, stop. And the wind dies down and the, the seas die down. So it's a nice story. You should read it. So, I want to speak from my heart a little bit with you today. Um, I I generally try to speak from my heart, but sometimes I don't quite know where my heart is. It's hard to track down sometimes. So, I I felt like this week, um, Jesus was saying some things to me in regards to my own life that I actually began to see in Mark chapter for specifically in the parable of the sower um and i want to speak to you first today about little things little things as opposed to great things we live in a world that is filled with extravagant things you know um there's, there's big stages, there's big power structures, there's big events, there's big people, there's big ladders to climb, there's big things to do, there's, um, there's, there's big mountains to climb. There's, there's just a lot of fantasticness surrounding us all the time and there's this constant invitation to us to do big and great things. Do you know what I'm talking about? And and I I have ambitions in my own life. I have things that I want to do. I have goals that I want to achieve. I have these desires that I believe God put on the inside of me that will take a significant amount of energy and labor and work for me to get to. And I think those things were ordained by the Father for me to do. But sometimes... I lose sight of the most important things because I'm consumed by these other great things. So I, I felt the Holy Spirit begin speaking to me about little things this week. So this week, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about little things, renewing my passion for Jesus by reminding me about so many of the important moments for me as a young believer happened because my life included little things. When I was a kid, I would sing to the Lord in my room, just sitting on the edge of my bed. I could barely play guitar. I didn't know that you could even sing to God on a stage When I was young, being a worship leader didn't really exist as a career option. But those little moments really marked me. No one knew that I was in my room singing and worshiping God. I was totally hidden. And in one sense, I was totally unknown. but the littleness of those moments with God are the very things that formed me. Actually, those small moments have kept me rooted as a believer through the many seasonal transitions and trials that come in this life. It's quite remarkable how well we can hear God speak When we get into a small and quiet place, it may seem obvious, but it's worth saying that hiding away from the noise and clamoring of the world, the greatness of the world and investing ourselves into the little and hidden places of his kingdom will produce the best and richest and greatest fruit of our lives. Is anybody with me so far? <clears throat> so, of course, I've, I've preached on the parable of the sower recently. So like I said, it was real interesting to me that it came back up, up for me this week. Um, and I've spent a lot of time um, kind of diving into that parable and maybe using a a different interpretive lens on that parable to get you to see some different angles on it. Um, But today I want to take a more elementary interpretive lens on this story. So according to the Bible, the word, the word, the word, is used three different, the person of Jesus The Bible talks about the word as the person of Jesus, all right? You know that? Nod your head if you know that, okay? The Bible also talks about the word as in scripture, as in the Bible itself. It refers to itself as the word, all right? That's the second meaning. And then the third way that the Bible refers to the word is like the spoken word. It's it's the word that comes forth from the spirit of God to you in your life. It's the word that comes forth in one way or another, whether it's God speaking it directly to you or if it's, if it's a, a word of prophecy that somebody gives you or a word of knowledge or, or a dream. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, amen, that, that aren't d- directly in the scripture. Now, now, you should get the bulk of what you're hearing from the Lord out of the scripture, but you shouldn't live your whole life reading the scripture only, there are other ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We believe in this church, we believe that God is still speaking today, all right? Um, and, and so knowing that part of it is actively listening, part of that is actively paying attention to what God is saying because we believe that he's speaking often, He doesn't always speak nonstop but he is often speaking i don't think you should go 10 years out of your life without hearing from the lord in one way or another i suppose that's possible but it hasn't been my experience i've had some weeks where i didn't hear from the lord but man go three months without hearing from the lord and i start trying to adjust myself to hear him in a better way okay so I want to I want to talk about the words the things that God has spoken to you in your life to you directly. So p- part of my testimony as a as a as a Christian is that I met the Lord before my parents did. I didn't get, I didn't get raised in a home where my parents told me about Jesus. Somebody else told me about Jesus. God fi- found me outside of my family structure and then I met the Lord and then brought the Lord into my family. And so I, I wasn't given a spirituality from my family. Something had to develop for me on my own with the Lord. So I have these really special and precious memories of being with the Lord by myself as a little kid. And I would just pray. I didn't really know how, somewhere along that line, I'd talk to God as best I could because somebody told me you can talk to God. And somewhere along that line, the Lord began speaking to me. I began to hear the Lord saying things to me. I wasn't a very good reader. I, I was a little kid. I couldn't necessarily open up the Bible and understand it well. And so the Lord and I began to develop a relationship. We began to have a back and forth conversation and and that that went, went on all through my childhood and into my young adult years and in the course of that the lord spoke exceedingly precious promises over my life he spoke prophetic words you know not just to me but through other people that marked me that be, began to form the course of my life the lord began to say things to me about my future that were very meaningful to me in my present they actually gave me hope, not just for that day, but for the, the, the later days to come. Do, do any of you know what I'm talking about? The Lord has spoken things to you in your life that are really important. Somewhere in the, in the New Testament, I think it's in, in 1 Timothy, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, he, he says, Hey man, the words that were spoken to you when the elders laid hands on you, you need to cherish those words. You need to not take those things lightly because when the Lord speaks into your life, it's because there's something that he's trying to do, not only in your life, but in the world around you. Amen? So a seed, back to Mark 4, let, let me read this real quick, all right? Well, not really quick, but let me read this. Mark chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, I'm, I'm, I'm in um, the Passion Translation. Once again, Jesus went to teach the people on the shores of Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd surrounded him. The crowd was so huge that he had to get into a boat and teach the people from there he taught them many things by using parables to illustrate spiritual truths, saying, consider this, a farmer went out to sow seeds. As he cast his seeds, some fell, some of it fell among the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell onto gravel with no topsoil, and the seeds quickly sprouted, since the soil had no depth. But when the days grew hot and the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots, other seeds fell among the thorns. So when the seeds sprouted, so did the thorns, crowding out the young plants, good, rich, they could produce no grain. But some of the seeds fell onto good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as was planted If you understand this, then you need to respond. So God is not afraid of of little things. I think he prefers using little things. He is slowly building his kingdom using things that are small like seeds. Practical example from my own life. Here I am, I'm just a kid. I'm sitting alone in my room. And I'm just singing songs on my crappy guitar, songs of devotion to the Lord. Totally hidden. Nobody knows I'm in there doing that. Nobody out in the world knows that I'm doing that. But that was a expression of the kingdom. It was a powerful expression of the kingdom. And you could like view that as an outsider and have a diminished view of it. And you could think, That's not important because it's not big. But I promise you, it is so important. Those little things that the Lord wants to use, is using in your life, are the very thing that he's building the kingdom upon. It is really easy to miss God in your life because he is coming like a seed. It's so hard to see But when I was a young boy locked away in my bedroom, barely able to play my guitar, but singing my little songs of devotion to the Lord, man, that was probably more of what the kingdom looks like than me preaching on this stage right now. So I want to take a look at this parable through a familiar interpretive lens. For this message, I would like to look at the sower in this story as God the Father. And I want to look at the seeds as the words that God has spoken to you personally. The promises declared over your life. Um, Me personally, I have... I have actual words that I can point to in my life. Um, But not everybody has that experience. So that's okay. Because God speaks to us in other ways, doesn't he? Like here's one of the things that I know God does for us. He puts dreams in our hearts. He puts desires into our hearts. He puts his promises into our hearts and And you know, sometimes we've not had a person prophesy to us necessarily or give us a word from the Lord, but we know those things are in there, don't we? We know that those callings and those purposes from the Lord are in our lives. So I just want to make sure that you know that just maybe you haven't got a prophetic word. Maybe you haven't had somebody lay hands and pray over you and pray into your life But nevertheless, God is speaking into your life. Amen. So when each of us heard the good news of God's kingdom, there was an initial response. God does the calling. He does the drawing. He does the wooing. He does the convicting. But his message demands some kind of response from us. We see this over and over in the scripture. Jesus is speaking and somehow his message is doing a number of things. He's either confusing people, he's making people glad, or he's making people really happy or really mad. Like, it's, it's rare when Jesus is saying something and then there's just an air of ambivalence surrounding what he's saying. It's kind of the nature of the kingdom. That message comes, that gospel message comes, and it demands our response one way or another, doesn't it? So oftentimes the Bible will instruct us on how to respond to God. So where the Lord comes, it demands a response from you, but hey, if you're like me, you're not necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed. You don't necessarily know what to do. You know, there's lots of instructions in the scripture. When, when the gospel is preached or when the word of the Lord is given and some kind of uh, response is, is needed and somebody doesn't know what to do, here's what they do. Tell us what we should do. In the book of Acts, after Peter preaches this three-hour message, there's all these people that have just heard these powerful words that he's, he said and they don't know what to do. So he says, oh, here's what you do. Repent and believe. That's the response. That's the accurate response to the coming gospel kingdom message. It's not always the the response, but it can be. So the scriptures will give you help on how to respond to the kingdom message in your life. So repent and believe is one way the Bible says it. Um. Another way you could say repent and believe, you could say change your mind. You know, repent just means to, to have a mind change. It means to stop thinking the way you've been thinking and start thinking the way God is thinking. That's a process, isn't it? It's not a one time thing. You don't repent from one idea, then all of a sudden you have the complete mind of God. Your, your walk with God, the fullness of your life is this ongoing maturing into the likeness and image of Christ, amen? So change your mind and give yourself to God. That's another way of saying repent and believe. God speaking generally necessitates a response from, from us. And I would say that our response to God begins at the moment of our salvation, but it doesn't end there. All right? God is still speaking his truth and grace over our lives, and often we can't receive what the Spirit is giving us because there are other things in our lives that have greater priority in our hearts than the kingdom of God. So... The reason why I believe the Lord was speaking to me about um, pursuing hiddenness in my life, pursuing little things in my life, is, is because of this. It's because there are things that have gotten into my heart that have a greater priority in my life than Jesus himself or the kingdom of God. So... Hopefully you're catching this today. Um, I'm really not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself. So like when I read this stuff in scripture, when we read scripture, we're really not supposed to read it. I'm not supposed to read this for you. I'm supposed to read this for me. (laughs) You know, if I'm reading your mail today, it's only because the Lord's reading your mail. But I'm giving you the message that I feel like the Spirit of God has been giving me this week. And so when I'm going after things that are in your heart, I'm really going after things that are in my heart today. It's a bit of a confessional message. So when I read the scripture, I don't see how much you need God. I see how much I need God. You can't really read scripture in order to convict others. You have to read it as the one who needs it. You know that parable where Jesus is talking about the two people that are praying and there's the Pharisee and there's the tax collector and the tax collector is saying, oh dear God, I'm such a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the Pharisee's over here going, oh Lord, thank you for making me so good and that I'm not like the tax collector over there. You know, that, that parable is a test when you read that parable it's a test (laughs) because every time i read it i think i'm the tax collector and when i think that i know i've failed the test (laughs) there's some kind of hypocrisy that the lord is continually going after in our own lives And we're, when we're reading the scriptures and we're seeing our friends in the scriptures and we're going, Oh man, my wife, she's the tax or she's the Pharisee and I'm the tax collector or whoever your person of interest is, you know. I honestly, my, my theory is that we don't read the scripture because it is so convicting. We don't read it daily because it, 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 it it is a, um, It's really good at what it does. It's really good at what it does. It is working to bring us into alignment with the way of Jesus. The scripture is constantly working to orient ourselves to walking in the steps of Jesus. And when I'm reluctant to read this, it's because I have a reluctance to change. Change is hard on me. All right. So, are you all okay? All right, I only have two hours left to go. So I'm turning 45 in August, which means I'm almost a half century old, you know? And I, I know I've said this before, but since I'm planning to live to 125, I'm not having a midlife crisis. It's really just a, like a third life crisis, so it's pretty great. But, Lately my need for grace has become increasingly apparent. I feel like the older I get, the less I know, and the weaker I feel. Does anybody know have that similar yes yeah, a similar dynamic, isn't it? But I'm not afraid of being weak. It makes weakness makes me the perfect candidate for God's power to live in. The great gift of your own weakness is that it makes you a magnet of God's grace. If you feel like you're a mess up, if you feel like you're a disaster, if you feel like your life hasn't uh, turned out the way you thought, if you feel like um, you had a plan, you tried to work the plan as best you could, but the outcome of it looks nothing like what you dreamed, you... Are the perfect candidate for God's grace today. And God's grace in your life in operation is better than your wildest dreams coming true. <laughs> that is such good news for like 99% of you in here. <sighs> you know, we don't talk about grace enough. We don't. Grace is the greatest thing going in the world. I, we, we live in a world that needs grace more than anything else right now on the planet. If you get on Twitter for five minutes, everybody's screaming at each other and everybody's opinion is right and everybody's calling out the other side and you can get sucked into that vortex so quickly. And I just, like, I just sense that the Spirit of God is just like, hearkening the people of God back to being dispensers of grace. It's like you you can't walk around in your life giving out the Eucharist. Like you can't carry a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread with you and give out the sacraments to people. I mean, maybe you could, but it'd be a little weird. But you can walk around everywhere you go and just dispense grace to everybody because everybody needs it. Christians and non-Christians alike. I know so many Christians who need a greater and deeper revelation of the grace of God working in their life. I need it. The great gift of your own weakness is that it makes you a magnet of God's grace. God is actively looking for people who are embracing their weakness. So our weakness forms us into vessels of the sweet, rich goodness of the Father, all right? God is actively working to get his grace to you. This is the work and the move of the Holy Spirit in the world, in your life, through your life. God is trying to make your life better today than it was yesterday. Do you agree with that? This is the truth. But we sometimes put up barriers in our minds and hearts that keep us from enjoying God's grace. According to Mark 4, there are some things that work against God's kingdom flourishing in our lives. So here's the thing God's word is always going forth, His kingdom is always on the move. It will never stop moving. It will never stop being on the search for people that are willing to receive it. But according to the parable of the sower, there are things that actually keep us from growing in the grace of God. There are actually things in our lives. We can allow things in our lives that keep us from feeling the extravagant love and grace of God. So, another part of Mark chapter 4 goes like this. This is Jesus explaining this parable to his disciples because they're absolutely mystified at the words that just came out of his mouth. So he decides to actually reveal to them what the parable is about. And he says it like this. Then he said to them, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? Let me explain. The farmer sows the word as seed, and what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, the word that was spoken to you in your life, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. The seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink a deep root into the word, we're talking about the word that was spoken to you in your life, they didn't endure for long, for when trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. And the seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth, the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. All right. So the first thing um, that comes to steal from us, to steal the word spoken in our lives according to this parable, is the devil. And there's not really much that you or I, you know, can do about him. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you could do some pretty bad things, but generally, we're not all walking around inviting Satan into our lives, right? Hopefully you're not, but... So number one, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts, God speaks something to you, and then Satan comes to get it. How does this work? I do not know. I don't know exactly how that works, but I do know this. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Okay? But prior to that, prior to resisting the devil and he will flee, he says this, submit yourselves to God. Another word for submit is humble. Humble. Humble yourselves to God. I don't know. That word humble is kind of a, seems like one of those words that's lost in our culture now. We have a lot of opportunity in this life to not be humble, don't we? But I think that real followers of Jesus, people that are actively seeking out how to follow Jesus will be practicing humility in their daily life. And sometimes practicing humility means you're not going to engage in a Twitter war with somebody as a practical example. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I think the greatest thing that you can do to resist the devil is to live a quiet life totally surrendered to Jesus. It's elementary, but it is so freeing to make Jesus bigger than yourself. Sometimes we're tyrannized by our own thoughts so much that the only recourse that we have to get free from that tyranny it's to say out loud, Father, I surrender my mind and heart to you. I submit my life to you. That sounds so simple, but if you practice that in your daily life, it will change the walk of your life. All right, number two. It's the stony ground. Number one was Satan. Number two is the stony ground. The stony ground is one of the things that will kill the word of God in your life. It's a challenge. It's an obstacle. It is meant to bring to fruitlessness that which God meant to bear fruit in your life. And the scripture says this. Immediately, the word of God came and they received it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, so they endure only for a little time. When tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they stumble. The King James Version says it like this. When affliction or persecution comes because of the words of God spoken to them, immediately they get offended, Man, offense is powerful, isn't it? I've been offended. I've been offended so bad that I just drank from a cup, cup of bitterness for four years in my life. I can think of this four-year span of my life where I was so angry. and Nobody would have known it. I was so offended that it actually kept me from the peace of God to be in operation in my life. Anybody know what I, anybody else ever had that feeling, you know? You know, people people talk about lust being a powerful force. I think probably that one of the most powerful forces in the universe is anger and offense. It is so seductive. Anger is, is so seductive and offense is seductive because man, when you feel you're righteous, when you feel you're right in your justification at being angry, It is so hard to be talked out of that. So in this example of the stony ground, we see folks who go from gladness to offense because of difficulty that arises from the word that they were given. I know the Lord has spoken things to me in my life, promises and dreams in my life that I thought I would get in six months But I got so mad and offended at God because it didn't happen that way that I I short-circuited his plan in my life because I was so put out and angry with him. Maybe you're offended by God because he is moving slower than you prefer. There are many reasons to be offended in this life. You can be angry at God, you can be angry at people, but your anger will not produce goodness in your life. Offense will never produce goodness in your life. Now, here's the thing. There are times when we should be angry. And there are times when things will come after you that are so awful That offense is surely going to arise. But the point of this is that you don't become a victim of those things for the entire course of your life. You take those things and you surrender them to the Lord. You take those things and you submit them unto the Lordship of Jesus in your life. That's the safety valve for you as a believer. You take those really difficult things that you're not actually going to be able to avoid in your life and you bring them under the blood of Jesus. You bring them into the presence of God. You take those burdens and you give them to him. It sounds so simplistic, but I guarantee you, I I know you do this because I do this. I'll go months without practicing that. I'll go months without saying those prayers of giving that hard stuff to the Lord. Or am I the only one? Do you know what I'm talking about with this? This is something that we have to remind ourselves about. We have to reorient ourselves to this kingdom way. Because we will be wounded in this life for one reason or another. Wounds and offense will happen. You can get really good at navigating away from that stuff, but... I just can't see you living your whole life without at least one disastrous thing happening. So another thing that people are often offended with the Lord about, well, I don't know if this is the reason, but one of the outcomes of being offended by God is shame. A lot of people are ashamed of God. There's there's folks that are carrying shame in their hearts because of things that the Lord has done. I know that sounds really weird, but it's true. And that's what this scripture is talking about. Maybe you have shame because of God. Maybe you're ashamed because Christians are weird and the gospel is strange. Maybe you've taken hits from friends or lost your family because you followed after the Lord. We live in a world that will gladly heap shame on you for following Jesus. It is not an easy road. Sometimes we lose sight of that because we actually live in a culture where the church has lots of big stages and lots of bright, shiny lights and lots of fantastic music. But there is an. There is a a characteristic of actually being a Christ follower that will be off-putting to people in the world. And we can't lose sight of that. Because sometimes we do lose sight of that, and when we put one foot in front of the other and we follow after Jesus, we act shocked when we experience blowback because of our faith. Because we've determined in our lives to live one way and we get ridiculed and scorned for that. And so you have to take that that shame and you have to submit it to the Lord. You have to take it before the Lord. And you actually, it's actually a gift. You need to take that as a gift and worship to the Lord. I mean, let's just be honest. From a practical sense, following Jesus is the dumbest thing anybody can do. No, truly, if you want to win at the ways of the world, doing it the Jesus way is not going to get you there. You know, in some countries, people lose their whole family over deciding to follow Jesus. All right, number three. This is the cares of the world. The seed sown among the thorns represents those who hear the word, but allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desire for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. So think about this. The Lord comes to you at some point in your life and he speaks into your life. He speaks over your life, the plans that he has for you. And you let the cares and the burdens of the world, the, de- the desire for the things of the world more than the Lord himself, it will actually bring those words in your life to produce absolutely nothing. That's a sobering word. It's very sobering to consider that my obsession with the cares of the world can actually bring to nothing the word that the Lord spoke into my life. So when I was a kid and the Lord was sharing these things that he had planned for my life, I could actually end that at some point in my life by not giving care to those words, not cherishing those words, and giving my heart and mind over to the things that Jesus mentions in this parable, those things will actually consume me in a way that will turn those seeds, those words that the Lord spoke, into absolute nothingness. And the, probab- the probability of me blaming God for that is very high. Because I rarely take responsibility for my own actions. You know, most of the time when I'm angry at God, I'm usually mad at Him for a decision that I made. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> so I have to admit that probably my biggest issue in my life is the cares of the world. I don't necessarily want to be rich, but I'm not saying it wouldn't be nice. But every one of us, no matter where we are on the economic spectrum, probably struggle with the cares of the world because we're all trying to figure out how to pay our bills. Amen. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate through all of the different relationships that we have. Many of us are trying to get our kids to soccer practice on time. Many of us are, you know, all of the things that come into your daily life that are not necessarily bad things, but that can consume you if you're not practicing a certain degree of humility and submission to the Lord on a daily basis. Actually, that submission to the Lord will free you from the tyranny of your daily cares. I know this is a very boring and practical message, but this is real. Don't we get consumed by daily life in a way that actually saps us of strength? And God's trying to get this grace to us that will empower us. He's trying to get his kingdom virtues to us, his peace and his joy and his kindness and his hopefulness. But we circumvent all of those things because our eyes are set on these cares of the world. Some of us have a great desire to be wealthy. Some of us have a great desire to build a kingdom or an empire of our own. And we are consumed by those things to our detriment. Sometimes those people are easier to spot. But then there's people like me who I go to work every day. I get my paycheck. I'm just trying to be a good guy, raise my family, live a normal life. But in the normalcy of my life, I prioritize that thing more than I do Jesus in my life. And that Will stop the words of God bearing fruit in my life. And I don't want to wake up at 80 years old and look back on years that I wasted not giving myself over the plans, over to the plans and purposes that Jesus himself spoke to me. So I have to constantly reorient myself. It's a practice. It's a discipline. It's not very glamorous something that I have to reorient myself according to the word. Amen. I'm almost through here. Bear with me. Everybody okay? All right. Barely okay. I get it. All right. <clears throat> okay. We can oppress ourselves with obsessing over the daily chores of life. We can tyrannize ourselves with never-ending, the never-ending search to get more, to do more, and to be more. Most of us are driving incredibly hard to be significant in one way or another, but God is speaking a word of life to us. This parable is a call to reorient ourselves into the smallness and the littleness of God's kingdom. I like the picture of God's kingdom as a seed very much. A seed is small. It's not very awe-inspiring when you look at it. It does its best work when it is hidden, when you don't see it. You will never lose in God's economy when you practice humility, when you practice hiddenness, when you practice surrendering your offense and your anger and your jealousy and your shame to God. How many of you um, don't put your hands up? How many of you just, I just want you to think about this for a second. Um, Amy, Amy and I have been talking about this for a while in our own lives, but um, how many of you guys feel like you have a wound that you've been carrying around in your in your heart or in your mind that nobody else knows about and you need the Lord to supernaturally heal it? I'm not talking in your body. I'm just talking about in your soul. It's, it's something that's affected the formation of your life. Just think about that for a second. How many of you are uh, just... Have a basic offense that's eating at your soul. Don't put your hands up. How many of y'all just deal with the cares of the world in a way that you know is not healthy for, for the length of your life and you want a better way of dealing with that? Why don't we do this? If you've got any of that working on you, why don't you just stand? Just stand up, and we're just going to pray together. You don't have to stand. Please don't stand if you don't want to. I don't want you to stand because you think that's what we should do. I only want you to stand because you're picking up what I'm laying down. So the great thing about being in the body of Christ is that this isn't The spiritual people up here and the non-spiritual people down here. We're all in this together. And, and this has been a bit of a confessional word to you today. And so I'm standing with you. I've got, I've got stuff in my heart that I need the Lord to work out. But I want to, I want to do what the scriptures say and I want to respond in a way that opens the door for that grace to flow. And I, you know what? I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that none of us have to be spiritual masters in order for this exchange to take place. So even by standing, I'm not actually asking you to jump through a hoop so that God can move. That's not what that is. This is only just a, just a simple act of faith that we're just going to stand together and do this. So let me pray. And, and and when I pray, you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to. I like to pray with my eyes open sometimes, so you're welcome to just keep your eyes open. But if you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. And if you want to raise your hands, you can raise your hands, but you don't have to do that either. Ooh, Holy Spirit, I thank you for the river of God that's flowing in here today. I thank you. I thank you. Like what Molly was singing today about that river that we can drink from, God. I thank you that we're drinking from your river even right now, God. And we love your word, Lord. We love your word, how it brings correction to our hearts and minds and how it reorients us to you, Father. So right now we repent, God. And that is just simply acknowledging to you, Lord, these things, the the anger that we've been carrying, the offense that we've been carrying, the justified anger that we've been carrying, the disappointment that we've been carrying. Lord, we take all of those things right now that we really don't have any control over, but we simply submit them to you. And we give them to you right now, Jesus. And we say, you are the Lord of our life. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the carrier of the good news. And we come to you once again, Father, to feast upon your goodness. And as an act of worship right now, Father, we give you our cares. We give you our, our our those burdens. I don't have a better word than that. But we give you those things, Jesus. And right now, we just receive. We just receive. We just receive the grace that your truth brings to us. So just stand there for a second. Just receive, receive the Holy Spirit right now. Receive his grace into your mind and heart right now. Let him do it. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit that is forming us into the image of your son. And you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, this isn't us about us doing more, but it's just simply about us leaning into you, leaning into your breast, putting our head on your breast, and leaning into your goodness, Father. We thank you for all this.
0: We, you know, we need to sit right here. The Lord's doing something. We don't need to just run away. Just let the Lord. Yeah, The Lord's just releasing healing and mercy and, and favor and grace. Let's just agree with him. James one twenty one says that we receive... The implanted word, parable of the sower, with meekness, that's with humility, for the saving of our souls. That's the transformation of your mind, your emotion, and your will. So, Lord, we receive this word today. Lord, let that transformation increase, even as we have um, agreed with you in standing here asking for your help. Lord, let your... Spirit, continue to work and to move and to release and to free. Right now the Lord's touching a number, um, a number of your minds, just releasing, um, I don't know like a torment or a confusion or a questioning, something that goes back and forth to wear you out. There really is an anointing right now that's settling on your minds. You may not even recognize it. Sometimes uh, it has to be brought to your attention for you to benefit because we're so much in our minds. So let's just agree, Lord. We just agree. Just say this, Lord, we agree. We agree as you touch our minds to release us from those troubling concepts, ideas, thoughts, bitterness, all those things, Lord, we just receive a deliverance. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank Him. Just offer Him some thanksgiving. That's what um, that can really seal what the Lord's doing in your hearts now. Is just to offer Him some sort of a. Honest to goodness, gratefulness, and thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. I was telling Andy that I can see all through the room anointing on people's foreheads. Because it's really not hot in here, but a number of you have like this. I can just tell from over the years. Let's agree with that. Let's agree that the Lord has given us a fresh anointing in our minds, a fresh viewpoint. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I received that. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Andy, thank you. That's a great word. Do um do we have our uh, prayer ministry teams here today? Wave at me if. Your author, okay, there you are. Anyone else who would like more prayer, if you'll come up right over here on that side of our auditorium, our sanctuary, we'll be glad to pray for you, for healing, uh, for prophetic things, anything like that. Please don't hesitate to come. And hey, happy 4th of July. Let me put that another way. Happy 4th of July. Yeah, I didn't think I was clear that (laughs) first time. Have a great week. Eat hot dogs, shoot off fireworks, and be grateful. America's a messed up country, but it's the least messed up country in the world. Come on, let's keep that in perspective. We have a great nation. Let's don't forget it. Let's don't stop appreciating the goodness of God in our land. Yeah, God, we pray for the immigration problems. We pray, God, did you just resolve so many of these horrible, complicated issues and release that kind of Twitter mercy, Facebook grace that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.